This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Welcome to another edition of LifeWords Q&A. It's Andrew Morris hanging out with you and David Ray for the next 20 minutes or so. And over the course of this period, we're going to answer three of your questions, which you emailed at LifeWords at hopemedia.com.au. And David uh, reads your emails, he replies, and uh, in this forum, he also answers them. So, David, welcome to the program. Thanks, Andrew. Okay, David, three questions. We'll start with uh, the the Bible question first. And uh, this writer asks, is there one overall best Bible version? Should I just use one or a few versions? There's so many Bible versions. And my, my you know, mildly cynical view is that I think they're driven by publishers a lot because the Bible is still a best-selling book. and uh, Particularly these days. That's right. We can't rewrite the Bible but we can certainly put out different versions which claim to be better than others, um, and I suspect publishers are behind that. But there, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but generally, I think it's a matter of personal preference as to what Bible version you use. And incidentally, I think the short answer to it is, look, honestly, um, you can use a lot of Bible versions or just one Bible version. It's not going to hurt you. Generally, there are two ways. Let me explain the background to this. There's two ways in which Bible versions go. One type will strive for as much accuracy and fidelity to the original languages as possible. And in other words, they major on literal accuracy. Um, um, they give us a good idea of the meaning, but it, they might not be as readable as others. Now, a couple of versions like that are the uh, English Standard Version and the New Christian Standard Bible. Um, they, they, they are going very much more on the accuracy sort of um, end of the spectrum. But other types strive for greater readability. They, they do try to be accurate, but they focus more on being understandable. So they will take more liberties with the translation. And an example of that, for example, is a paraphrase called The Message by Eugene Peterson. Um, Peterson's a very good scholar, uh, and he's not going to lead you astray. But, but it, while his translation or his paraphrase can phase things vividly, it's not meant to literally translate the original. Um, so, so basically, you've got these a certain translations that will tend towards relying more on an accurate literal translation of the original languages and others which are saying, well, yes, we want to be accurate, but but above all, we want to be readable. Um, now, with that in mind, it's probably best to actually have on hand a couple of translations, one to give a really accurate rendition of the original, but another to give a fresh understanding of the original. So, for example, I might have an NIV or a New Revised Standard Version or an English Standard Version or a Christian Standard Bible on hand because they're generally more literal translations. <clears throat> but then again, I might have alongside them the New Living Translation, which personally I think is a wonderful translation, and um, the message. Um, so because- how, do, how, how does the New Living Version differ from, say, the message? Is that, is, is that a paraphrase? No. Usually, again, Peterson's message, the message is further down the readability end of the spectrum, as it were. Um, the New Living Translation is more sort of towards middle of the road. New Living Translation is really um, a, a translation, whereas a paraphrase like J.B. Phillips uh, in many earlier years and the message are very loose translations. And I believe there's a new version, the Passion Bible, which is again written by, or translated by one person. Yes, so it yes. would be down the Eugene Peterson end. That's that. That, that, that's right. Now, we're not knocking any of these translations. We're just simply saying they're all trying to do a different thing or aiming at a slightly different audience. 
So if you've been reading one translation for a while, there's no harm in trying something different. I, I've often, uh, in my own Bible readings, looked at one particular translation. For example, I take along with me the updated NIV uh, to church simply because the church has got those Bibles and that, that suits me. But I will often, in writing life words and so on, be referring to the New Living Translation or the Message because I think in certain situations they convey a particular meaning very, very vividly. So you're not going to go astray by reading any of those. Um, if, if I'm studying for a theology degree, I will not do that by simply studying the Message. I will have to be looking at a more literal translation. But if I'm wanting to introduce someone who has absolutely no clues about Christianity, has never read the Bible before, the message or New Living Translation might be a very good translation to put in their hand. Um, we've got to understand too, though, um, um, because I don't know what's behind this question as question, but sometimes people do tend to uh, convey the idea that there's only one translation that's really the inspired Word of God. For uh, many years, some people... I think very sadly and, and very wrongly, have looked at the old King James Version, the authorised version, as being this is the inspired word of God and everything else is just um, um, humanly manufactured. Now, that's there's no substance in that at all. As a matter of fact, the, you could argue that the old King James authorised version uh, was an inferior translation simply because it didn't have all the texts, all the manuscripts we've got available yeah. now, and that's why it's been upgraded to something called the new King James Version. But you see, all translations are human works. Um, when we talk about the Bible being inspired word of God, we're talking about the original manuscripts uh, inspired. None, none of the translations can claim to be inspired. Uh, they're done by godly scholars, and we hope under the guidance of the Spirit, and therefore God in his providence is not going to mislead us. But the only truly inspired word of God are the original manuscripts. And guess what? We haven't got any of them. So it's a little bit of a meaningless concept there. So if ever you do find someone saying, this Bible this version is inspired and that one's not, now that's silly. That's wrong. All translations, I think, are done by godly scholars who are seeking to do their best, and often the version we use or the versions we use will depend on what context we're in and what our personal tastes are. You're listening to Life Words Q&A with David Ray, Andrew Morris. Thanks for that, David. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, we're looking at the Bible, as you were saying, uh, and I guess the original transcripts were orally brought down uh, mm. from from tribe or from generation to generation for many hundreds of years, I guess. Oh, yes, yes. They, look, uh, they weren't just dropped down in tablets from the sky. And uh, I guess, yeah, we've got to realise that, don't we? We've got to realise that. And, and the Bible, many of the Old Testament books, for example, were only written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the events they describe. But the point there is that we trust, I trust, that God wanted to communicate with yes. us through the Bible, and therefore I don't think God's incompetent. I think God's perfectly capable of ensuring that what is there in our text now accurately translates what he wants us to know and I believe that while there are sort of human certain human elements in scripture we know that um, but at the same time God is not going to let them get in the way of revealing his big purposes for us yes life words Q&A with David Ray question one just been put to bed well at least for for this episode David our quest second question is I wonder why a God who loves all people would allow some people to go to hell is this a loving God? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, God does love all people, but we've got to sort of give some content to the word love. I mean, um, it's, a, it's a love that allows for freedom in those he loves. It's very much like the love that a parent might have for an adult child. 
Um, a loving parent may watch an adult child ruin their lives. They do all they can to prevent it. They don't want it to happen. But love doesn't mean control or suffocation. Uh, so an adult parent might watch a child embrace a destiny or a life which is extremely harmful and not what the loving parent wants at all. So they're putting that to God here. Uh, uh, God desires all to be saved and to be with him forever. Um, that's clear. Um, God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He, he doesn't want that at all. But he can't and won't force people into heaven. And the reason for that is because that would override love. I mean, love has got to be freely given. Um, and God's not going to force us to love him. The other point is that heaven would be hell for those who want nothing to do with God. If you want nothing to do with God, if you're a rebel against God and want to run your own life, well, you're not going to like heaven one little bit because heaven is is devotion to God. Um, the exact shape of that, we don't know. But, but heaven is all to do with eternal, wonderful, intimate communion with God. Now, if you don't want anything to do with God, I'm sorry, you're not going to like um, heaven. So therefore, as it were, God, God allows us to choose. And my, my, my belief, Andrew, is that God doesn't send anyone to hell. Sometimes people carelessly say that. He's not sending people to hell. He's simply offering them heaven. And if people will not choose heaven, he simply says, well, have it your way. I honor your choice. Now, we may not like that, but what are we asking God to do? If, if you don't like what I've just said, well, what are you asking God to do? You're asking God to override human freedom and force people into heaven to make them love him and accept heaven. Well, well, that, that negates love and negates human freedom. We're asking for a universe which doesn't exist. So I, I would imagine some people would object possibly to what you just said as you highlighted, the fact that they, they probably read the Bible and see God as a God who is judging and who actually intentionally sends people to that place called hell you're reading the the scriptures and God's word in a different way that that people choose not to oh, yes. be with God rather yeah, than yes. God sending people to. Well, I think Jesus makes that clear. I mean, yeah. Jesus says, you know, um, he, 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 he says, you know, like in John three sixteen, those who believe in me will will have eternal life, and not perish. Well, he's offering them a choice. He's he's you know. Choose, choose in the Old Testament. Choose this day whom you will serve. The Apostle Paul is constantly exhorting people to put their trust in Christ, and so on and so on. And we do have that freedom to choose to put our trust in Christ or not. Otherwise, um, the, our whole concept of uh, humanity is all distorted. Because if 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 God is simply pre-programming all of us to accept Him. Well then, um, where is the love in that? Where is the devotion in that? In order, in order to be free to embrace the good, I've also got to be free to embrace that which is not good. And that, of course, is the ultimate explanation of why there's evil in the world. Human beings, God has created for them to love Him and enjoy Him, but at the same time, if He gives us the freedom to do that, He also gives us the freedom to rebel against Him and to defy Him. Um, remember, God doesn't want resentful people in heaven. He only wants those who love him. And he can't and won't force people to love him. But what he has done, and hopefully is still doing through his spirit, is to offer to all people um, a, a, a demonstration of his love. God is constantly inviting people, like he's, one of Jesus' parables says, inviting people to the banquet. Come, come, come. Go out, you know, search the highways and byways. Bring everyone in. I want as many people as possible 
but there's still some people who won't come. So heaven is always, as it were, a, 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 a place for those who have embraced and accepted the offer of heaven in Jesus Christ. But if you don't want anything to do with God, you won't want to be in heaven. And as C.S. Lewis once memorably wrote in one of his works, the doors of hell are locked on the inside. Um, Lewis is really trying to metaphorically say there that we have, as it were, put ourselves in there. Um, God has not sort of somehow vindictively said, right, I don't like the look of you, you're going to hell. Uh, All God is doing all the time is uh, inviting people to heaven. But um, if we will not accept his invitation, um, there has to be an alternative destiny. David, I don't know if you ever read the cartoons of the Far Side and Gary Gary, Gary oh, Larson. Oh, one of my one of my favourite authors. Yes, and uh, here uh, I remember Mum. Uh, my mother got me a T-shirt of uh, one of his characters, great cartoons of God with the big white beard behind what looked like a very big. Uh, technical kind of desk like you imagine a nuclear kind of thing and there was this big red button that said smite Smite. and god had his hand over it and i guess uh in in a way being uh maybe uh, someone on the fringe of christianity at that time my impression was god was uh always wanting to smite rather than love but once you get to know and read the scriptures and, and and holy spirit introduces jesus to you i guess you um you, you find that the, the Bible and God is a God of love and that hell yes. is really not the key topic of it all. No, no, no. Well, of course, uh, Jesus mentions hell a lot and all that sort of thing. We can't deny that that there is that judgment. No, uh, but the Bible is uh, a love story at, uh, yeah, at heart. Yeah, exactly right. That, that what... What we're getting at there is a sort of sense of balance. Of course, God God has to act against human rebellion, yes. But the point is, if that's what we think the keynote of God is, the essence of God is, we're wrong. Because the Bible never says God is judgment, God is wrath. He, he exercises judgment, he shows wrath, but God is love. Now, as we said, that love is not an easygoing sort of sentimentality which says, oh, come on into heaven anyway. But it is the sort of love which which says I don't want to press the button and smite people. I don't want to smite anybody. What I want to do is to invite them into life with me. But if they will not have that, they accept the consequences of it. But I do agree that there's so many people who have got that distorted view of God, even in our Christian churches. They've got this distorted view of God who is the bearded old man in the sky who's waiting to pounce on you if you go astray. And that is a, um, that's a parody. Hmm. You're listening to LifeWords Q&A. Great to have your company. If you want to subscribe to David's daily devotional email, it's called LifeWords. Makes sense. You can uh, subscribe at hope1032.com.au. You just tick the box, put in your name and email address. Otherwise, you can subscribe through iTunes and get LifeWords Q&A into your podcast directory every time we release a new episode. It's that easy. Okay, David, our final question for today is, we hear a lot about equality. Is it true that all people are created equal? Well, like a lot of things, that depends on how we define our terms, doesn't it? We're all equally made and valued and loved by God. I mean, God doesn't create first and second class human beings. Um, He doesn't play favourites. Some of us might reckon we're better looking or better educated or more capable than others, but God doesn't discriminate. He values and loves us equally. So as far as love, God's love goes, the worst criminal is as valuable and loved as the most godly saint. We've got to be very clear on that. Uh, but beyond that, it gets a bit trickier because there's a whole philosophy, for example, that's built on the assumption that all people have equal rights in society. And to, agree, uh, to a degree, that's fair enough. But that's not true. 
Not all people have equal rights. A prisoner doesn't have the rights that a free person has. A child lacks the rights of an adult. So the idea that we all have equal rights is fine in principle, but it can fall down in some areas if it's pushed too far. Um, Now, that doesn't mean that the prisoner or the child, the examples I've used, are of any less worth or any less loved by God. It's just that in the practical workings of society, we may not always invariably be treated as equal. So we're all equal in the sight of God, all equally loved by God, all equally human, but we don't. that doesn't necessarily mean that we all have equal rights across the board, as it were. And also, we're not all equal when it comes to abilities or maturity. See, I'm not the equal of Stephen Hawking's when it comes to physics. Um... I'm not the equal of Bill Gates when it comes to business management. So some people will... I was once leading a Bible study group where a fellow in the group protested and said, well, my views are equal to yours. I said, no, they're not. I said, no, they're not. He was, he was, I think he was a graduate in pure mathematics or something. And I said, your views on pure mathematics are far above mine, are far better than mine, but my views on the Bible are actually not equal to yours. In other words, uh, there, there is an inequality of, 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 of knowledge and capability. I am not the equal of um, certain footballers or cricketers in terms of their sport. So we can push things too far. Um, in a church, I, I've got to treat all people as equally loved and valued, but that doesn't mean they're all on the same level of trust or responsibility. Uh, there are people in every church that are, are, are actually... Um, going to be more trustworthy and more responsible than others, more capable than others. So equality doesn't mean that we're all just the same and that we all in every situation have equal rights. When I preach in a church, I have the right to preach because that's my position. But someone else doesn't have the right to push me aside and say, I'm going to preach today. So, so, so we, 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 in this language we have of rights and equality and that, um, yeah, fair enough in principle, but in practice... Not always easy. I guess uh, one of the big issues, David, now is that a desire for minority groups, possibly at the moment, for more for more rights, for more equality, mm. whether it's um, uh, asylum seekers or refugees, whether it's mm. um, religious minorities, mm. um, also possibly even um, school children having the right to vote at a particular age or more equality. So there is this sense of... Um, people groups across communities uh, wanting to exert or have the right or have more equality. Um, And I guess as a community, that's where we have to agree together. Well, yes, we we agree as a group that you you deserve more equality. Um, Mm. um, As long as we don't somehow or other assume that we can sort of manufacture equality where there is none, I I, I mean... I mean, you know, I mean, we want, for example, to say someone who is just newly arrived in our country that you have certain rights as a citizen, but do you have equal rights to those who have been here for 20 years or something? That, that That's a political and economic question. Yeah. Um, and do you, you don't have a right, um, someone who comes in here from another country uh, who, for example, is a doctor in another country just doesn't have the right to come in here and be a doctor. Um, you know, that, again, it doesn't, they are not equal 
to those doctors who are Australian trained. Doesn't mean to say they're worse people or anything like that. That, that doesn't 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 impinge on their value as human beings. But we can sometimes lazily use the doctrine or the language of rights and equality to somehow or other raise it to a ridiculous and impractical degree where we're saying, oh, every everyone is equal. Well, no, I'm sorry. The person who has come in here with a degree in medicine from some other country might not be equal in terms of status and responsibility here in Australia as, a, as an Australian-trained doctor. doesn't mean to say they're a bad person or even a bad doctor, but in the practical outworkings in society, um, the language of equality and the language of rights um, has to be severely qualified. Thanks, David. You've been, been listening to LifeWords Q&A with David Ray. Thanks for your company over the past 20 minutes. Hope you found uh, uh, the three questions that we've discussed. Your questions are stimulating and uh, possibly challenging and, um, yeah, thought-provoking. We'll join you next time. In the meantime, you can uh, subscribe to David's daily devotional LifeWords email through the hope1032.com.au website. You can send David an email if you've got a question that's been, uh, I guess, stimulated or uh, has come out of today's discussion. The email address is lifewords at hopemedia.com.au. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.